Chat on This are a series of conversations designed to be thought-provoking, informative, and offer an empowering approach towards well-being for your family. Brought to you by Advanced Health Chiropractic. Well, hello everyone out there. I'd like to welcome Jim Morrow to Chat on This. Jim was a builder by trade and had spent many years specializing in the incredible restoration of beautiful villas. He was a true craftsman and took immense pride in what he was able to accomplish. There is, however, a flip side to Jim. He's an intrepid adventurer and really pushes his physical body to the limits in his other pursuits, things like running, mountaineering, trekking in exotic places such as Nepal. Jim does not take his health for granted and has been a chiropractic patient since we've worked out 1977, which is extraordinary. So welcome, Jim, to chat on this. We're looking forward to hearing all your wonderful and wise words. Oh, thank you, Katie, for that introduction. Great. So um, I'd like you to explain to our listeners, Jim, when your passion for the outdoors first began and what pursuits were you first involved in? Uh, this begins back at uh, age 13 when I was at Mount Roskill Grammar School. Yes. Um, I have to offer a big thank you to um, uh, the late Ivan Pickens, who was an Oratea um, entity uh, and teacher at Mount Roskill Grammar. Uh, Ivan was a very keen tramper and formed a club at the school. Now, I have to say that competitive sport had little interest for me. Um, primary, intermediate, yes, you had to play something, so I did, but I was just never into it. Uh, and discovering the tramping club, uh, I thought, well, let's see what this is about. Uh, I will remember um, my first trip being a, a weekend in the Waitakere's and uh, staggering up to the bus stop from home with this borrowed pack on my back, wondering if I was ever going to be able to carry this for a whole weekend, <laughs> which I did. Uh, and I made a point of going out every weekend um, after that, either for a day or for the weekend. Um, when I was 15, Ivan took a group of us to the South Island for 10 days trip in the Nelson Lakes National Park. Mm. That was quite amazing. I'd never carried a pack that big and heavy before, <laughs> <laughs> like 25 kilos. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, leaving school at 17, I um, sort of naturally moved on to the uh, Auckland Tramping Club, where I've been a member ever since. And I guess that's where I got my real introduction to um, more serious winter mountaineering. Wow. And I assume being a, a North Islander, um, one of the main mountains you would have been exploring would have been Mount Ruapehu. Yes, Ruapehu, Narahoi, Tongariro, mm. Taranaki. Of course. Um, I think Taranaki was the first serious winter climb I did with proper snow and ice. Wow. Wow. And at what point did you venture overseas? Not till 2005. Um Again, I was not really planning to do this. Um, I had climbed Mount Cook a couple of years before with uh, Alpine guides down there. And uh, they uh, wrote to me and said, um, oh, we're uh, getting together with an Aussie leader to 
put together an expedition to Tibet and thought you might like to go. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yes, please. So, yes, 2005 um, was my uh, introduction to the Himalayas, which I've been sold on ever since. And what was it? What was it that um, inspired you so? Oh, just about from the first I arrived there, these massive mountains. These are the biggest mountains in the world, hey. Absolutely. Uh, And... uh, the scale of the place and on that particular trip going from right up to the north approaches to Mount Everest and looking up at it and saying wow climbing a peak next to it where we uh, not only carried packs we also hauled a sled each up onto the top of a peak a lot lesser peak than Everest and sat on the top and looked at it and, uh, and really yes from before that trip was half over, I said, I'll be back here. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? I mean, obviously the Himalayas have a huge attraction and draw for, for all adventurers, particularly mountaineers. But, of course, here in New Zealand, Sir Hepburn Hillary um, made that famous for us too. Have you ever climbed Mount Everest? Yes, once. And how was that? Oh, well, it's very out there. <laughs> it's a very alien environment up there. Um you certainly get the impression that you don't belong up there. <laughs> it's um, from what I understand, and I don't know anything like the amount of um, that you would know, but I do understand that there's only a short and uh, window every year that you can climb it, uh, and there are many, many, many people who don't make it. That is quite right, yes. Mm. Um, the Everest climbing season is um, the northern uh, springtime, which is April and May. Um, it, it is a two-month commitment mm. to Mount Everest. Yeah. You arrive there in April and you spend most of April, in fact, all of it really, uh, just acclimatising, doing short trips up to, say, the base camp, back again, uh, maybe uh, up to Camp 1 at the top of the North Col and back down again, Uh, all just preparation, getting the body ready, really, to be there. Uh, The weather windows for actual climbing usually come in May. Sometimes there will be a climb in the first week of May. More often, it's into the second week. And by the end of May, the monsoon is approaching. So by the time, well, you might be lucky in the first week of June, but beyond that, no, the monsoon comes in and that's it. it. The mountain shuts down. Yeah. But even so, like through May, there might be two or three days where it's possible to go to the summer. Wow. And, I mean, sorry, logistics now. I'm wondering, everyone, so they must limit the number of people that that, um, have access to that opportunity. Do people get turned away simply because of the weather? They can't, they may never summit. Oh, yes, that happens. Yes, there are people, yeah. Well, we've all seen those uh, TV pictures of Nepal with the Ants Trail going to the summit. I I did not want to be part of that. No. Uh, I had already been to the north side and seen it. Yeah. So I thought, well, I know what I'm in for there. And I knew that less people went there. Mm, But more Um, dangerous? No, more so than the other side. Mm. Uh, Both sides have their challenges, certainly. What is different about the north side 
is that you spend a lot of time up very high on the summit day because you gain all the height quite quickly from the top camp, but then there's a very long ridge to go along to the summit itself. More so like on the, the Nepal side, um, from the top camp at the South Col, it's up there and back down again. Right. Whereas on the north side, you're exposed to the altitude for much longer. Uh, I will say that we didn't get to put our boots right on the top. Um, it was about another 200 metres along the ridge from where we were. Uh, the wind was horrendous trying to pick us off the mountain, even though it was a fine day. Wow. And we looked at it and decided that uh, <laughs> uh, discretion was the better part of valour and said, well, for us, okay, that's it, it's climbed. We're not going to do that last bit along the ridge because it's too dangerous. Well, we're glad, you, <laughs> we're glad you're here with us today, Jim. <laughs> that's, um, that's quite something, and it's, it's um, amazing to try and imagine what that must have been like. Uh, what's the feeling of knowing you've done it? Oh, that's really, yes. <laughs> yes, you come back down, wow, well, I've been there. Yeah. Um, you know, that day, as I said, it was a fine day. Um, when we stopped and said, should we do this last bit? As I said, the wind was trying to pick us off the mountain. The wind chill was minus 50. Wow. <laughs> and I already knew that my fingers were frostbitten. So, yes, okay, it's probably better we turn around. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, that's incredible. Um, well, maybe you could now tell us a, a, a little bit about a few of the highlights of some of your most memorable adventures. I mean, <clears throat> I imagine that was one of them. Yes, Everest was one of them. Um, it's very difficult to say what people ask me. What was the most exciting mm. thing you've done? I said, I really can't single out one thing because there are so many things that have been so great. Um in our own South Island, uh, snow caving on the Garden of Eden ice plateau. That was quite an uh, exciting thing to do. Um, on that particular trip, there were five of us from the Tramping Club. Uh, it was our Christmas trip. We took 18 days supplies with us for a 16-day trip into the wilderness. So... Uh, you know, you count climbing gear and uh, extra clothing in with that. Yes, it gets a bit weighty. Mm. <laughs> Pushing through West Coast scrub with 30 kilos on your back. Mm. <laughs> but it was worth it when we got up there. Wow. Um, and, well, yeah, the Mount Cook climb that I did mm. back in 2002. Um, two people roped together, dependent on each other. Wow, that's a huge <laughs> level of trust required. It is, yes, yes, yeah. Uh, and as I mentioned, the first trip to the Tibet, with the, uh, the sled hauling, um, mm. that was something I hadn't done before. Um, and uh, I should add in there, um, <laughs> the Aussie leader that I had done a couple of trips with um, wrote to me in 2009 and said, uh, Nepal has opened up a new area, and uh, there's a peak in there that's uh, not been climbed before. What do you suppose we go and have a look at it? Wow. <laughs> I bet you you said no immediately. No, I know you, Jim. You would have jumped at that. <laughs> I, yes, I said count me in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Mount Himalung, which most people have never heard of. It's it's a lesser peak, 7,200 metres, so it's not right up with the big 8,000ers, but it was a new area. We found out that the south side had been climbed a few times, but the north side had not. Mm. So we said, well, let's go. And how many of you in the group? <laughs> uh, we started with um, a group of eight, um, eight climbers plus Sherpas and and staff. Um, of the eight, four made it to the top. Because of altitude? We went off in two different groups. Right. Um, the leader selected, well, obviously, yes, he selected the strongest four people for the first attempt, uh, and we did make it up there. Um, the second group the next day did very well, mm. but they but they didn't get right to the top. Right. Okay. Um, but they were pleased with what they did. Yeah. But I, I think that was there was certainly a buzz there to step onto the top of the mountain after ten hours of solid climbing and say no one's done that before. I am the first person. Yeah. I, I was first to put my boot on top. Wow, that's extraordinary. It is okay. extraordinary. You would not get there without your team. Yeah. Okay. So it's definitely it's, it's everybody's achievement. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that's what's lovely. I mean, you really are relying on your teammates for your life, really. Oh, yes, essentially, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Have there been any particularly hairy moments uh, that you'd like to share with us? Um, (laughs) Not overseas as such. Um, There was one uh, time in the South Island where we were actually attempting to get to the Garden of Eden ice plateau um, and we got forestalled on that by a storm, uh, a high altitude storm that destroyed our tents. Um, yes. Mm. <laughs> and um, we were thinking before the daylight came, um, how do we get out of this? <laughs> we were fortunate that the weather cleared in the morning sufficiently to allow us to. Uh, <laughs> salvage what we had mm. and get back down and below the bush line where we knew we, we could survive down there. Mm. But no, we could not carry on at the high altitude with our, Scary. our wrecked gear. But if that storm had not abated when it did, we would have been rolling out the aerial for the mountain radio and saying, um, could someone come and get us when the storm's gone? Right, yeah. And that's and so your radio is run, I assume, through GPS, is it, or how does that work? Oh, it's completely different now. Oh. back in those days, the mountain radio system. Yeah. Um, the, the radio you carried was was quite heavy. Mm. Uh, you had to roll out about forty meters of aerial in order to use it, just aerial wire. Mm. Um, the mountain radio service was a, a volunteer thing. The channel in Christchurch was monitored um, more or less 24-7, but their uh, scheduled times to call were in the evening. And there was a Wellington base and there was an Invercargill base. Uh, Sometimes it was necessary to relay messages from one party through another one to the base because you couldn't always contact the base. Really, it was um, it was a check-in thing. Um, you could check in every night, 
um, and get the weather forecast for the next day or two. Mm. And also the operator at the base knew you were out there. And if he didn't hear from you for a day or two, he might raise, raise a red flag somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. I haven't heard from this group. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's all quite different now, though, with in-reach devices and satellite phones and all sorts of things. Like, yeah. I have to say that satellite phones in New Zealand in the mountains are limited. Right. Um, unless you're right up on top. You can't if you're them. down in the valleys, yeah. they're not so useful mm. because you're dependent on the passing over of the satellites for your communication. And if you're in a deep valley, yeah. you'll only have a short time mm. to communicate before that satellite passes over and wait for the next one. That's right. <laughs> Hairy stuff. Um, so I hear from chatting to you that next year you're going to once again be taking a group of people, going with a group of people on a great adventure to <clears> Nepal. Can you tell us what that will entail and uh, what kind of preparation has been required? <clears throat> After I had been to Nepal and the Himalayas a few times on these climbing expeditions, I started to think, this is such a fabulous place. I need to start sharing it with other people. Now, okay, these people won't be climbers. They'll be fit trampers. Um, so what can I do about organising a trek for them? So uh, that started in 2012. I got a group together from the Tramping Club and off we went. Um, actually passed through again the area that I went to on the approach to Mount Himalaya. Oh. We passed through the same area again. Um, our objective was Mustang Kingdom, which is... Uh, sometimes known as the uh, um, the last forbidden kingdom. <laughs> it is part of Nepal, mm. um, but until recent years, you weren't allowed to go there, partly strategic because of the border with Tibet. Um, mm. Don't want to upset the Chinese in mm. any way. No. <laughs> Not that we did. But, mm. uh, so, yeah, I organised that. That was a month-long trek. Mm to um, Mustang Kingdom, uh, which included four of us summiting Sarabong Peak on the way, mm. um, a 6,000-metre peak. But, okay, nobody else on the trip had ever climbed that high before. <laughs> so, Pretty exciting. Yeah, they, they were quite excited mm. to do it. Um, and going on from there, I thought, well, that was pretty successful. So uh, 2016, we organised another one to uh, an area called Upper Dolpa, um, fairly remote. Uh, there are people who go trekking in Dolpa, but they don't go right up to the border of Tibet, which we did on, a, again, a month-long trek. Um, crossed many passes on that trip, the highest one, 5,500 metres. Decent. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, for trekking, yes, that's yeah. quite high. Yeah. Uh, and everybody loved that trip and more or less said, when are we going again? <laughs> So two years later, we went back, um, 2018, and we went over to eastern Nepal and uh, went right up to the base of Mount Kanchenjunga, which is the world's third highest mountain. And we saw it close up and looked up at it and said, ooh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> My comment was, um, I'm a climber, but that looks scary. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's saying something. That is saying something. Yeah. It, it doesn't have a great reputation, that mm. mountain, for for successful expeditions or for survival, for that Survival. Matter. Jesus. <laughs> wow. We'll leave that for other people, I think. Yes, yeah. So uh, that was in 2018, and everybody thought that was a great trip. Um, I think what was memorable about that one was that for the first half of the trip, <clears throat> we were more or less on what you might call the tourist trails. Yeah. Once we left the mountain, the second two weeks of the trip, the only people we saw were the local people in their villages. How We didn't see anyone else. How wonderful. That yeah. was really, yeah, that, that's quite something. It's, it is quite something. So, you, yeah, um, very great exploring. Yeah. Well, the two Sherpas who were with us had done this trip through the area before and knew the ways to go. But, yes, we saw some pretty, pretty exciting country um, and some very, um, should we say, hair-raising trails in places that we had to follow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which the locals think nothing of. Of course, yeah. You would not be allowed to take anybody on a trail like that in this country without dock interfering and insisting that handrails or whatever had to be provided. <laughs> wow, that's that's great. But isn't that wonderful, intrepid and exciting? Mm, it was, yes. We did plan to go in 2020, um, but as we all know, COVID interfered and turned the world upside down. So... The trip that we were planning for 2020 is now on for April 23. Got it. Yes. Shorter trip this time. Again, back into the, the Nar Valley, which was our approach to Mount Himalong, because uh, some people asked, well, I'd love to go, but I can't go away for that long. So our intention now is that we'll leave about 31st of March and return to Auckland about April 24. Yeah. That gives us about 18 days of really nice trekking. Mm. Um, Preparation-wise, well, yes, um, <clears throat> we deal with a company in Kathmandu called uh, Project Himalaya, and my man on the ground there sees to all the organising at that end. So uh, when we arrive from here, he will have the, the porters, the mule teams, uh, Camp cooks, and uh, the tents and the camping equipment will all be arranged at that end. We don't have to take that with us. Perfect. We just have to take our personal equipment, yeah. and they provide all the rest. Um, and on the trail, we carry day gear, and all the heavy stuff is carried by the porters and the mules. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. And, uh, yes, the camp cook provides some amazing meals out of the most primitive equipment, Wonder how he does it, <laughs> but we're always very well fed. Oh, how amazing! <laughs> Beautiful, lovely, fresh food. Yeah, so I put it together from this end. I organised the the airfares and I organised collecting the trek fees and getting them paid. And uh, when we arrive over there, everything at that end is ready to go. And um, how big is your expedition this time? How many people going? Maximum twelve. Yeah. Um, so far, I've got. 11 people have put their hand up and said, I'm interested. Um, in a couple of months' time, when I start asking for money, that's when I find out who's really going. <laughs> yeah, and these are all people who do have tramping experience. Yes, they do. Yeah. 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 They're, um, 
just about all people that I already know. Yeah. Um, only one um, one has applied to me from the Waikato Tramping Club mm. uh, because they get our club magazines. We share magazines around the clubs in the country. And he's picked up on this that, and wrote and said that, well, he led a trip in Nepal in 2006. And um, is my trip open to people from other clubs? I said, well, of course it is. <laughs> and obviously you, you do have the experience. So I've not personally met him yet, but uh, I think he'll be okay if he still wants to Good go. Good addition we, to the group, When yeah. we start putting the final things together. And made up of both men and women or mostly? Yes, yeah. both, yes. Lovely. Yeah. That's great. Oh, one of the earlier trips, there were more women than men. Interesting. <laughs> there you go. Something I may aspire to later on, perhaps. Um, so you, you've um, been a practice member here at Advanced Health Chiropractic for many, many, many years. Uh, and you of all people really do understand the importance of keeping in tip-top shape. How do you keep fit and well, and are there any tips you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, as far as fitness training goes, it's something I do all the time. Um, I never really stop training. Sometimes if I've got a big expedition coming up, I might ramp the tra training up a bit, but it's, it's essentially something I do all the time. Um, I recommend you visit the gym every day, even if it's only for half an hour or an hour in the morning before work. Apart from the physical training, I found when I was still working full time, it really set me up for the day. Get up at quarter to six, pop off down to the gym for an hour and hey, the day seems to go quite well. I agree <laughs> with you, absolutely, uh, great habit. Yeah, and of course, um, the other training is constantly being out walking, getting out in the weekends, um, a good balanced diet, not strictly vegetarian or strictly vegan. It doesn't have to be that, but keep the balance about right. Um, moderation on alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not against having a beer before dinner. I, I usually do, but uh, yeah, moderation. Yeah. <laughs> Don't smoke. <laughs> no, not at high altitude particularly, yeah. And most people these days don't. No. Um, and, yes, walks on evenings and weekends. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's just keeping the body moving. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The use it or keeping, lose it mentality. Yeah. Keeping it fed well, keeping it moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not saying, oh, well, I haven't got anything coming up, so I don't need to train for a while. Just keep it going. <laughs> no, just keep it going. Yeah, I like that. Very... It doesn't, doesn't have to be high-level training, but if it's regular – it, it keeps everything moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. keeps your strength up. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. There's just one last thing I wanted to share with everyone, which I think is fabulous. So um, in recent times, you have been helping out with Tupuki High School, taking their year 12 and 13s um, on courses on um, Rupehu, I think, um, to do with alpine instruction and um, really just getting to know the mountain and feeling confident mm. um, and sharing some of the wonderful <laughs> skills that you've learned. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, this was an early um, involvement with the school, probably 10 years ago. Uh, they came to use our club lodge on Rupehu, and I happened to be the warden there. I had never met them before. But uh, in the course of things, I, um, I let on to the uh, teacher in charge that, yes, I knew how to teach Alpine instruction, and he kind of <laughs> lassoed me and hasn't let me go. 
but that's okay, that's fine. A school teacher gave all this to me when I was a young teenager, so I just feel like I'm, I'm giving something back. That's lovely. Um, yeah, that's, that's the way I sort of view it. Um, I'm not a qualified instructor, so there will always be somebody there who has their, their ticket, if you like. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I know how to do it all, but for um, uh, ACC and OSH purposes, if something did go wrong, the first thing they ask is, uh, what's your qualification? So there needs to be somebody qualified there. So, uh, and I'm a good backup to them for the actual instruction. Mm. So we're teaching them to use the ice axe in the snow, how to walk with crampons on the boots, um, how to cut steps, how to arrest a fall. Like if you fall mm. and you start sliding, you're already out of control. How are you going to stop? And sooner the better. <laughs> yes. So we teach them how to do that um, because don't rely on your mates to stop the fall. You've got to stop yourself, especially if you're not on a rope. Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the other parts of their training is uh, they must excavate a snow cave in the snow and they must sleep in it for one night. So they have to take their dinner out with them and cook out there spend the night in the cave and prepare their breakfast before they come back to the lodge. Wow. It's a three-day thing generally if uh, the weather is suitable. So they will be there from Monday to Friday. Um, and uh, if everything's gone right with the training and it's all completed by Wednesday, they have two days to ski and have fun before they go home. Oh, it sounds great fun. That's fantastic. Well, good on you for giving back like that. I know those students will um, benefit greatly from that. And maybe one of them one day will pass it on again. Well, one or two sometimes uh, who have been there. Of course, this isn't just fun in the snow for them. Uh, these students are doing out outdoor education as a subject for NCEA. And sometimes there'll be one or maybe two who'll say, well, I do intend to go on and do um, proper training mm -hmm. to be an outdoor ed teacher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, how many finally do it? I have no idea, but there will be one or two who aspire to it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Isn't that wonderful? Well, thank you so much, Jim. I feel like I could talk for hours and hours and find out all about your wonderful adventures. Thanks for spending time with us. And um, if anyone's interested in a pool trip and you have some tramping experience, Jim's your man. Thank you very much. <laughs>